Let's talk to God. Lord, we ask you to help us to hear your word, to understand it, to remember it, to be changed by it, and to do it. Amen. So I hope you were listening carefully to the names of all of those places in the eastern Mediterranean. Um, starting at Ephesus, where, uh, or Miletus, where you heard about Paul last Sunday, if you were here, uh, calling on the Christians of Ephesus to come and farewell him at, on the beach at Miletus. And then they go on in a variety of different ships to Kos, to Rhodes, to Palata, possibly to Myra, uh, sailing by Cyprus without actually landing, Tyre, Ptolemais and Caesarea, and finally to Jerusalem. Now, it's really important that you remember all of those uh, because when you get to the pearly gates, St. Peter is going to give you a scroll and a, a scribe thing and ask you to write down all the cities of the return half of Paul's third missionary journey in their order and find them on a map. Well, no, actually. Uh, the more important thing is to have a grasp of why he is going and where he is going and what is going to happen to him. I'd like to pick up two little points from uh, this reading in Acts 21 um, about this journey of Paul's to Jerusalem covering about a thousand kilometers and probably taking at least a month because you couldn't use the internet to uh, book passage on ships ahead you just had to hang around in the harbor and wait for a ship that happened to be going to where you wanted to go but two little things that happen on the way. First of all, when Paul gets to Caesarea, he comes to, to the household of Stephen. And the text tells us Stephen was one of the seven. That is, one of the seven that we would call deacons, perhaps, uh, who the apostles chose in Jerusalem to do the work of administration and organisation so that they could have time to share the gospel. So Stephen was one, uh, Philip, sorry, was one of those seven. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now prophesying in the New Testament has two different meanings and we almost certainly get both of them in this passage. It is most likely that what the four daughters did was preach because prophesying often in the New Testament means just what I'm doing now, preaching, declaring God's word. 
That's not absolutely sure, but it's probable. And the other thing is that you may have noticed that as Paul um, and Luke, who was with him, journeyed, wherever there were disciples, they met up with them. In one place, they didn't know where they were, so they had to go and look for them. Um, But it was important for Paul on this difficult journey to meet with other Christians and to have fellowship with them, both so that they could encourage him and so that he could encourage and share with them. One of the things I've learnt from my many travels is that it's important to find the Christians in the place where you go. Even if you can't speak their language, you are an encouragement to them as they meet to worship and they can be a real encouragement to you. The first time I tried to do this, I left it till Saturday night. I couldn't look up any church in the phone book because the phone book wasn't in English. All I could do was ask around and the only uh, reference that I got was to a group of Catholics who met in one of the big expensive hotels, not where I was staying. So I went and joined with them. But for me, the moral of the story has been when I'm travelling, not to wait till Saturday night, but to find out where I might meet some Christians, if that's possible, and join with them, even if the service is not going to be in English. So an important encouragement for Paul. If I was going to give this sermon a name, I'd really have to give it two names because there are two things happening here as Paul journeys to Jerusalem. One name I'd give it would be the long goodbye. And the other name I would give it would be journey into danger and death. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and people are farewelling him. We have another farewell story uh, where they are kneeling on the beach and praying. Uh, A similar story to what you had last week in Acts chapter 20. When Paul gets to Tyre, on the coast um, of what's probably, just thinking whether it's now Israel, I think it is. Um, When Paul gets to Tyre, the disciples there, through the Spirit, Luke tells us, told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And then when he gets to Caesarea, the last port before the two-day journey on horseback to Jerusalem, a prophet called Agabus comes down from Jerusalem 
and he takes Paul's belt and he binds his own hands and feet with it. And he says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. This is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. It's an acted prophecy. And this time, it's clearly a prophecy that is a prediction of the future. There are only, as far as I could find, four acted prophecies in the whole of the scriptures. Three of them are in the Old Testament. Ahijah and Isaiah and Ezekiel perform acted prophecies. And this one from the prophet Agabus is, as far as I can see, the only one in the New Testament. And it is a terrible thing for Paul to hear. This is the way the Jews will bind the man who owns this belt, his own people, God's own people, who have been hearing uh, of God's law and of God's grace from the very time that he rescued them from Egypt. His own people, God's own people, will bind him. And worse than that, they will hand him over to the Gentiles. And what that means in brackets, if you like, is they will organise to get him killed. The Jews at this point, uh, because they were under Roman rule, didn't have the right to put anybody to death. If they wanted a death penalty, they had to go and ask the Romans. And here, Agabus prophesies that they are going to hand over one of their own, a Pharisee, a respected teacher of the law, and they are going to hand him over to the Gentiles, the enemies of the Jews, and they will have him killed. Well, this is actually no surprise to Paul. From the very time that he himself was converted, he has known that he is leading forward if he is going to follow Christ into a life of trouble and difficulty. If you remember the story of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is, falls off his horse, he is struck blind, Jesus speaks to him and afterwards he goes into Damascus having to be led by the hand, what an indignity, 
And they're another prophet. We've got a lot of prophets in uh, today's story. Another prophet, this time Ananias, is sent by God to Paul. He doesn't really want to go because Paul has his reputation for persecuting Christians. And, but he goes and his first job is to heal Paul of his blindness and then to speak this to him. He is my chosen instrument to bring my name before kings and Gentiles and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So right from immediately after his conversion, Paul is aware of what is ahead of him. On the one hand, to bring Jesus' name before kings and Gentiles and the people of Israel, but also to suffer for the sake of that name. And back in chapter 19 of Acts, Luke has recorded for us uh, something that you may have heard two or three Sundays ago. Paul resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. It's a little bit hard to know whether that means in the Holy Spirit or his own spirit or possibly both working together. Paul resolves to go to Jerusalem. And I'm pretty sure that when Luke wrote that, he had in mind Jesus, who in Luke's gospel, and remembering that Luke wrote the book of Acts as well as his own gospel, in chapter 9, Luke says this, Jesus set his face, or in another translation, Jesus determined resolutely to go to Jerusalem. So I think that Luke has in mind that Paul is setting out on a similar kind of journey to Jerusalem and a journey that will not be a comfortable one. It will be a journey, <clears throat> a journey into danger and death. And Paul, in the um, chapter that you perhaps heard last Sunday, says to the disciples, the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. So none of this is a surprise to Paul. The Holy Spirit has spoken to him. The Holy Spirit has spoken to Agabus. He knows what is ahead of him on this journey, but he is going to take it anyway. But if you've been... Uh, watching and listening to the text carefully, 
you might want to say to me, but Cassandra, what about verse 4? Isn't that a contradiction? In verse 4, the disciples at Tyre say through the Spirit, uh, Luke records for us, told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Isn't this a contradiction? Uh, not in the least to what Agabus is going to prophesy and to what the Holy Spirit has been telling Paul. So are the disciples at Tyre uh, mistaken? Or is Luke mistaken about uh, their telling of Paul uh, coming through the Spirit not to go on to Jerusalem? Because it really looks like a contradiction. Well, the general rule in Scripture is that if you think you've found a contradiction, look and examine very carefully. Because nearly all of the time, it will only be an apparent contradiction. Often the circumstances and the context have changed from one saying to the other. Jesus, for example, at one point says, um, those who are not with me um, are scattering the word. And then at another point, um, he says the reverse. There's a point where Jesus sends out the disciples to the villages around and says to them, don't take uh, money with you, don't take a spare tunic or an extra pair of sandals, uh, just go. And there's another point where he says to the same disciples, take some money, take some food, take a spare pair of sandals, spake, take a, a, a change of clothes. But when you look carefully, in the first instance, he's sending them off to largely Jewish places where they will be able to draw on Jewish hospitality always offered to travellers and especially to people who come to speak God's word. In the other example, he's sending them off to areas where there are many Gentiles and they might not be able to draw on that hospitality. But the answer to this apparent contradiction is not as straightforward as that. The context is the same, Paul on his way to Jerusalem. One of the writers about this says that we need to draw a distinction between a prediction and a prohibition. They are not the same thing. The warning is coming from God this is what you're going to get into. But the urging um, to the person that you care about, love or respect, is a natural human response. We've seen it actually with Jesus. 
when he predicts that he will be arrested and maltreated and killed in Jerusalem, Peter says, Peter is horrified and he says, no, Lord, may this never be so. And Jesus speaks very strongly against him. Get behind me, Satan, he says, because what you're saying is not coming from God. It's only making things more difficult for me. And I think this is what is happening with the Christians in Tyre. They don't want him to go because they can see what is lying ahead of them, a natural human response. Don't go, Paul. Don't go. And Paul responds to them not with words as strong as Jesus' words, but very powerful words nonetheless. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? This is not easy for Paul. He knows that he has to go. So what's happening here in Tyre is, I think, the difference between a warning from God, a prediction, and a natural human response. Don't go. But he goes. And I think it is fairly clear from the text that Paul actually expects to die in Jerusalem. But he doesn't. And one of the reasons that I would title this sermon The Long Goodbye is that all these people all across the eastern Mediterranean right up to Caesarea, uh, they've been saying goodbye to Paul but He's going to be in Jerusalem and imprisoned in Caesarea also for two years at least. And he does not die in Jerusalem. He is handed over to the Gentiles. Now that's heartbreaking when your own people hand you over and God's own people hand you over. Um, and he ends up in Rome. And it is in Rome where he dies after another approximately two years of house arrest. So when the people in Ephesus and the people in Tyre said goodbye to him in tears on the beach, they were right that they would not see him again. That's why they were weeping. But they did hear from him again because during those two years of house imprisonment in Rome, uh, Paul writes many of his letters and sends them out around the place. And the Ephesians hear from him again, even if they don't see him. And as he spends time, in prison, 
in both Jerusalem and Caesarea and in Rome, the prophecy that Ananias made to him in Damascus is fulfilled or continues to be fulfilled. He will bring my name before kings and Gentiles and before the people of Israel. The New Testament doesn't actually tell us that Paul uh, was killed in Rome. We know that from history. And also Peter was killed in Rome. The, the New Testament kind of finishes, or, or at least the book of Acts finishes well before that time. So he is saying goodbye but it is a long goodbye. And he is setting out on a journey that leads to danger and death. But it's not a short journey. It spreads out over four or five years. As far as we can tell, Paul is martyred in Rome about the year 64. Now, Paul is unique. He has a particular role in God's plan and purpose. There is nobody else, quite no other Christian, quite like him. But nonetheless, around the world, there are our brothers and sisters in Christ who are also on journeys into danger and death. You don't want to be a Christian in North Korea or in northern Nigeria. You don't want to be a Christian in Egypt and have somebody bomb your church. You don't want to be a Christian in Nepal, or at least you don't want to be a pastor because, as Jan told me once, uh, the pastors all know that they are going to spend some time in jail um, and they rejoice over it. There are places in the world where our brothers and sisters in Christ are thrown out of their families, where they are prevented from having uh, a university education, where they are maltreated, beaten up, imprisoned and killed. They, in a way like Paul, are on a journey to danger and death. And as we read what happens to Paul, I, I hope that that will... Um, incite in us a little more a picture of what is happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ, in Algeria, in Saudi Arabia, where you can get beheaded and you're not even supposed to own a Bible, um, because they too are on a journey that takes them into danger and into death. So let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for your servant, Paul, for his courage and his commitment to go where you send him and to suffer abuse and imprisonment and death for your sake so that he could proclaim your name to kings and Gentiles and the people of Israel. And Lord, we pray today for your church in parts of the world where it is oppressed and persecuted and harassed, that you will be the strength, the encouragement, the protector of your people. And we ask that their lives and words, like Paul's, will bring your name to the people around them, even those who are hostile. And we pray in that name. Amen.